you my way as I journey here below. There is no other highway for a child of God to go. God, I have a sermon to preach after that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for your enjoyment of that. Um, we're going to be starting a new book today, uh, so you can turn in your Bible to First John, chapter one. And uh, as you do so, uh, I have a question and a slide for you. And uh, how many people in this room? Or who in this room likes to take tests? I was just raising my hand as an example. I don't really like to take tests. All right, so there's some of you that like to take tests, but uh, unfortunately you are in the great minority. And, uh, and yet we'll be taking tests as we're studying the uh, epistle of First John. And... Uh, uh, let's go ahead and read First uh, John 1 through uh, verses 1 through 4 to start with. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. As you may have noticed, this is quite an explosive introduction John uh, doesn't slow down to tell us who it is, uh, who is the writer, it's, it's John, the Apostle John, and who is he writing to, is just, is just breaking into this introduction, and uh, he's not slowing down till verse 4, so we'll, we'll go ahead and start at verse 4, and we'll walk, work our way backwards through this introduction, and then we'll look at the rest of our text for this morning. So, first of all, he tells us, that he is writing these things that our joy may be full. Now, we uh, can certainly appreciate the fact that John wants our joy uh, to be full, and we may recognize that it's part of God's purpose for us as Christians that we will be full of joy, right? But uh, clearly there's situations where even we as uh, Christians may not have uh, fullness of joy, or otherwise he wouldn't have to write this letter. So if you're a Christian here and you're not enjoying fullness of joy, you're, you know, at least you know you're not alone because this letter was written and hopefully we'll find as we go through this letter that our joy will increase uh, with the letter or that we will find how it is that we can have fullness of joy. Now, the, uh, the first question is, what is it 
that was preventing these Christians that he was writing to from enjoying fullness of joy themselves. Why did they need this letter to be written? And uh, I have here an excerpt from Bill McDonald's uh, commentary that uh, helps explain it, if you haven't done the historical research into this book. And he says there, at the time John was writing, a false sect had arisen which became known as Gnosticism. And he points out that in Greek, Gnosis means knowledge. These Gnostics professed to be Christians, but claimed to have additional knowledge superior to what the apostles taught. They claimed that a person could not be completely fulfilled until he had been initiated into the deepest truth. So the, the problem was, uh, the church had in it people who professed to be Christians, but were not really Christians. Right? These are the Gnostics. And uh, not just were these people not Christians, but they had other knowledge, or claimed to have other knowledge, that the apostles didn't have, and they were teaching the other believers, or trying to convince the, the true believers, that uh, what they really needed was this knowledge, this hidden knowledge that the Gnostics had, in order for them to be fulfilled as Christians, or to, to really have happiness or joy. Uh, and John, in this letter, I mentioned there will be tests, and there will be tests, uh, John will be writing a series of tests here to show whether a person is really a Christian or not. And uh, we can stop and think, why is it that taking these tests that will show a person whether he's a Christian or not, how is that going to restore joy to the believers? Well, one reason it will restore joy to the believers is it can help assure them of their own tests. And that's one good reason to take a test. If I'm not sure if I really understood the, uh, you know, this chapter in, in this uh, high school chemistry course that I was taking, uh, I, I can take the test. There, there may be questions at the end of the chapters, and if I can answer all the questions, I realize, well, I, I do have a good grasp of knowledge of the material uh, of this book. In a similar way, by taking this test as a believer, you will see that you will uh, consistently... Uh, fall on the side of the test that says, yes, you are a believer. And that will help give you an assurance that you are a believer. And that's, that's a good thing. In fact, John almost ends this letter this way. First John 5.13, he says, These things, again, this very same letter, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to have an assurance. God wants us to have an assurance that we are really children of God, that we are true believers. And if you ever struggle with doubts as to your salvation, you can appreciate what a joy it is to be assured that you really are a child of God. Right? So that's one way to, to why, why this test will bring joy. The other is um, tests can protect us from what you might call malpractice. Right? I, I don't, I don't uh, like perhaps taking tests. But uh, when I go to the doctor, it was, it's very important to me that this doctor had to pass certain tests in order to be my doctor, right? He's qualified to be a doctor. I can be assured he has a certificate that shows he completed his medical uh, degree and, uh, and he's qualified to be my doctor. In a similar way, these tests can help us uh, as we encounter other people 
who may claim to be believers and may want to teach us things that they say are important, but they themselves may not be true believers. Uh, when I was a, a young believer in Berkeley, I just became a believer that year, I you know, was very proudly took my Bible with me and read it during lunchtime at, uh, at uh, the plaza where you could buy food. And a person sits next to me and says, hi, you know, I, I see you reading your Bible. And I say, yes, I'm a Christian. He says, wonderful, I'm a Christian too. I'm part of, a, I forget the name of the group. I think it was something like Christians on Campus. So, you know, a good Christian name. And it uh, turns out he was a cult. You know, this guy was not a true believer. And he was trying to indoctrinate, indoctrinate me with something that was not the truth of God. And so John writes this in a sense to protect us from malpractice. If somebody comes to your door and wants to study the Bible with you, you know, and you have some questions, well, First John is a great place to turn to, to find out if this person is a true believer and you want to study the Bible with them. Uh, third, and uh, it's kind of connected to the second point, you know, I, I put it as a hypothetical even though it's very likely to happen. If you're a new believer, I don't know, you know how the devil does it, but he seems to be able to find new believers and just target them with this cult material. But uh, in the case of uh, this church that John was writing to, this was not a hypothetical. This was an emergency. You had uh, believers uh, in the church and you had unbelievers in the church having a picture of, uh, that might describe the kind of emergency uh, that this is. This is the. I don't know if anyone is a doctor and qualified to read this diagram and tell me what's happening here. Yeah, it's a brain tumor. Okay, good. We, we have a qualified personnel here telling us that is. That was the situation in the church that John was writing to. There was there were believers, and there was uh, you know a group among the believers that were not real believers, and uh, they they were completely disturbing the believers in that place. The believers. Uh, were losing uh, their joy because they were losing fellowship with one another. They were losing fellowship with God. That's why uh, he says that in, in uh, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He wants to restore them to the state of a healthy, relation, a healthy church and that may mean taking outside the tumor, right? This this, this group of unbelievers that were in the church needed to come out. They needed to be excluded from the body in order for the believers themselves to have this fellowship that God wanted them to have, first with himself and also with one another. Now, how do you take a tumor like that out of a person's brain? Another picture here. All right, you use, you use a, what do you call that kind of knife? A scalpel. Right? You know, a very, very sharp knife. Why? Because you really want to cut out the tumor, but you want to minimize any damage to the healthy tissue of the brain, right? I, you know, when you're operating on my brain, I don't want you to remove too much material, right? So, and that's what this letter really is. This letter is a scalpel, if you would, in the hand of God. This was an emergency, a church that was infiltrated by unbelievers, and God has to step in and take out the unbelievers without damaging the body. And, uh, and because of it, we'll, we'll have a series of tests that are very specifically designed to divide the line between believers and unbelievers. And uh, 
With, uh, with that introduction, we'll go ahead and look at the rest of the introduction. Uh, kind of moving backward, if you would notice, John starts by talking about his personal experience of seeing the Lord Jesus. He's one of the apostles, and so he can say that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So he's talking here about the fact that he got to see the Lord Jesus himself and because he's seen the Lord Jesus, he knows what God is like. And the reason... Uh, it's important to know what, what God is like, is he will base his tests upon that. In order to find out if a person is a believer or not, he will take the character of God and he'll apply it to the life of the believer. And uh, because of that, it's important that the person who writes this letter is a person who is acquainted with God, a person who can say, I have heard him, I have seen him, I have looked upon him with my eyes, my hands have handled him. And uh, he was... He was uh, uh, the life that was manifested from God to us. Right? Uh, and, and so that's, that's the rest of the introduction. John is coming to us with a knowledge of God, with a desire to save the church from the unbelievers that were in their midst and, and were affecting their joy. And he'll do so by giving us a series of tests. Okay? Uh, so let's go ahead and continue in verse 5. And this is the first test. We will just cover one test today. One test today. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So I said we will be looking at the character of God. And the first uh, aspect of the character of God that John is bringing out, that he will measure us again, is the fact that God is light. Now, I will tell you in advance that uh, many commentators will simply say, and, and, and certainly truly, that God is holy. And the, the fact God is light bespeaks of the fact that God is perfectly holy. God is perfectly holy. Uh, but I, as I've been mentioned, a light engineer, I can't stop there. And I'm thinking of why God is, uh, why John is using this particular attribute uh, or description of the holiness of God. And uh, light is something that reveals. Light is something that reveals uh, things to us. And uh, God, uh, the fact that God is light is revealed in the fact that God himself gives us light to reveal things. Uh, we have this for us in 2 Corinthians 4.6. Two thoughts related to the fact that God is light. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory 
of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I like this verse because it ties two different revelations or giving of light that God does for us. First of all, God gave us physical light. If you were to go to the very beginning of the Bible, the first uh, um, the, the days of creation, uh, who can tell me what God created on the first day of creation? Adriana? Sorry? Light, good. The very first creative act of God was light. And it is the light that God created that we're utilizing in this room. Some of it is coming from the sun. Some of it is coming from uh, the electrical light that we have in here. It allows us to see one another. And you may not be so happy looking at me and like wish the room was a little bit darker. But uh, I, I went to Yosemite uh, uh, last week, or actually two weeks ago, and uh, one of my neighbors was a blind man. And, uh, you know, I kind of appreciate the difficulty. He, he needed someone to walk him to the bathroom. At his house, I imagine he can find his way on his own. In the camping ground, he can't. Uh, I got to see all the wonders of God's creation there. He couldn't. And the light that God gives us allows us to see his creation, allows us to see one another, allows us to walk without running into things. His light is really a gift to us. It enables us to enjoy life in a way we couldn't enjoy this life without his light. Now, that's only the first half of the light in 2 Corinthians 4.6. is also shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that speaks of the fact that God reveals himself to us. God reveals himself. So he doesn't just reveal to us the physical world. He also reveals to us the spiritual reality. He reveals to us himself. He reveals to us our sins. And... Um, Reveals to us the way of salvation, what the Lord Jesus did for us. These are, this is God's light. It's God's revelation to us. Okay. So the first test is this. What do you do with the light that God gives you? What do you do? This is something that will set apart a believer, or a, a true Christian, a true child of God from an unbeliever. What do you do with the light that God gives us? And... Uh, as an example for that, uh, you could turn if you wish. I'll have the verses up here, but we'll be reading a few verses from the Gospel of John. So if you want to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And without reading verse 14, can anyone tell me who the Word is? Right, Jesus, good. <clears throat> the Word is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus said of himself that he was the light of the world. And in this verse, it, it shows that he was the light. He was the one who revealed to us the life that we should all be living. He was the perfect revelation of, of the life of God and the life of man as we should be living uh, before God. It also says the light shines in the darkness, and the, the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness describes our world. 
Our world, naturally speaking, does not receive the revelation of God. We don't want what God has to reveal to us. Now, Jesus will, will continue uh, with that thought in chapter 3, as he's talking to Nicodemus. So this is uh, after Jesus explains to Nicodemus that a man must be born again, and the fact that that's possible through believing in the Lord Jesus and what the Lord Jesus did for us. We'll pick up in verse 17. So the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and verse 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. We talked about that this morning. But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Simply put, belief in Jesus is what saves you. But then he goes into the condemnation in verse 19. What is it that condemns us? And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, that is the light of the revelation of God that came in the person of the Lord Jesus. And men loved darkness rather than light. This describes the general condition of this world. Right? So unbelievers. Everybody is included in it. Right? Men loved darkness. We didn't want Jesus. We didn't want the light of Jesus. We didn't want him to show us the way God was like. We didn't want him to show us the way God expected us to live. And he explains why. The words of Jesus. Why did men love darkness rather than light? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Why don't we want the light of the word of God? Because we practice evil things and we don't want to see how nasty we look. Have you ever noticed how cockroaches run away when you turn the light on? You kind of wonder if they don't want to see what they look like. (laughs) And that's why they're running away. And uh, we don't want our sins to be revealed. We don't want, you know, us and all our sinfulness to be exposed. And that's why we naturally do not like the Word of God. But, and let me suggest to you, this is someone who is a believer whom God has changed. This is not the natural state of things. Which is why we're saying these tests will separate an unbeliever from a believer because they'll show the effect of the work of God in a person. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. A believer has an interest to know what it is that God thinks about their lives. Now, We'll talk about it. It doesn't mean that a believer's life is perfect. When, when we let the word of life, the word of God, shine into our lives, we're going to see a lot of sin. Right? But a believer is interested in knowing. That's the difference. A believer says, I want to know what I am like in the sight of God. You know, I want to do the things that please God. I want to change. I remember before I was a believer, uh, Sharon uh, brought me a Bible in Hebrew. I don't know how many of you remember Norman Allensworth. Norman Allensworth used to be a, a kind of a missionary or a full-time worker trying to, uh, to uh, bring Jews to, to know the Lord. And uh, it found out that Sharon had a Jewish friend in college who said, please give him this Hebrew New Testament that I have. 
And uh, Sharon brought it to me and said, there's this guy in my church and he wanted me to give it to you. So here it is. You know, maybe you could read it. And, uh, you know, she, she encouraged me too. And, you know, I was trying to please her. And so I went ahead and started reading it. And I was kind of able to read through the Gospels. I wasn't, wasn't, it's mostly an historical text. I didn't understand what I was reading. But I was able to read, read it. And uh, I remember in Acts, I was able to read through Acts. I remember running to the book of Romans. It was like a war. <laughs> you, know, you know, I just couldn't get through the first chapter. You know, I just put, put the book down. And uh, something changed when I became saved. When I became a believer, all of a sudden the word of God made more sense. And I had a desire for it. I remember uh, this is uh, about a year or so after I was saved. Maybe not quite a year I was at home. So I think when I was in college, I was a little bit better, maybe reading the Bible regularly, or I was at least coming here to Calvary Bible Chapel once a week. So I was getting some, some input from the Word of God, but I was uh, at home in Los Angeles, and I just wasn't getting fed, and I remember kind of feeling hungry and unsatisfied, and I didn't know what it was, and then I found my Bible, and I started reading it. I'm like, ah, it was like food to my soul, right? It's a change God does in a person. It's what set apart an unbeliever from a believer. God gives us a desire for his word. All of a sudden, yes, the word of God might expose my sin, but it's too good <laughs> to not read. And we'll see there's a lot of other reasons to read it. Uh, I remember uh, many years ago, Sam Wilson, he was just a wee lad then. I think he may have already been taller than me, but that's not that hard to accomplish. But... Uh, he, uh, he asked me how to say Psalm uh, uh, 119, verse 105 in Hebrew. Do you remember that, Sam? Do you remember how to say it in Hebrew? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll read it to you in English because we don't speak in tongue in this church. Uh, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus said this in Mark 4.21, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? And the point is this, the Word of God shouldn't just be something that we put in our shelves and we put our hands on it and say, yeah, I believe everything that it says, I swear, I'm not going to lie. Whatever people use with the Word of God, the Word of God is designed to be a light to our feet. Right? The purpose of it is to light our way, to show us the way God wants us to walk. And uh, as believers, it's something we should be doing as a regular basis. Certainly something that's important for our personal fellowship with God. To expose our light to the Word of God, to let Him uh, show us what we're like. I know for me, you know, there's some verses that really speak to me like, Husbands, love your wives. Every day I think about that verse. Right? It's something that God expects me to do. Fathers, bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Every day, that verse is with me. How, how, you know, how is my life aligning with the Word of God? Uh, recently, the Lord brought this verse to me. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart up from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Whoever has this world's goods... The Lord has blessed me with many goods. Am I sharing it with those who are in need? How is my life aligning with the Word of God? Now, certainly our life doesn't 
you know, is not perfectly aligned, as we'll see, with the Word of God. But as believers, we're willing to check it out, right? We're, we're willing to let the light of the Word of God shine upon our life. As unbelievers, like, ah, oh, no, 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 I don't want any of that. Okay, that's, that's what shows the difference between a believer and an, un- an unbeliever. Okay. Uh, the rest of the passage, or at least the rest of this chapter, kind of gives you a clue whether you are walking in the light or not walking in the light. Maybe it gives you encouragement to be walking in the light of God's word. Uh, First of all, we have in verse uh, 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship between mankind was broken in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve said no to God's commandment that they were not allowed to eat of the tree, and instead they took of that tree, and Satan said this to them in the form of the serpent. He said that God knows when you eat of it, you'll become as gods yourselves, knowing good and evil. It was really an act to, instead of following God's law, they wanted to follow their own law, their own rule, their own way. And we see the consequence. Adam and Eve have the first uh, marital fight uh, that same day. Uh, One of their children ends up killing one of their other children. All the strife in mankind is really the result of mankind's rebellion against God. And uh, evidence that uh, you are walking in the light is that you have fellowship with other people who are walking in the light. If there's a if you're following God's law, if God's law is the authority in your life, you should be able to get along well with somebody else who has you know, God's, God's priority in their life. Right? That makes sense. Next uh, evidence, uh, it says here, um, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Something that you'll find different between believers and unbelievers is believers are very willing to own up that they're sinners. Right? Usually unbelievers are not willing to acknowledge their sin. Why? Because acknowledging your sin is acknowledging that you deserve the judgment of God. Right? So they very naturally don't want to agree that they've done anything wrong. You'll fight with them to get them to agree that they've done anything wrong. An unbeliever will freely admit that he's broken the law of God. Why? Because he knows there's provision for it. Right? And the blood of Jesus Christ, his sons, cleanses us from all sin. I'll read the word of God, I'll open it, it'll shine upon my life, and I'll see I've committed a sin. Praise the Lord, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Right? So it's not, it's not a good thing that I've sinned, but I don't have to be afraid of that, right? because Jesus has provided for it. Uh, it allows me to recognize what it is in my life that needs to be changed. The next clue, and it's kind of related to that, is uh, if you are walking in the light, then you wouldn't be self-deceived. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I keep saying I'm a light engineer, and I'll use it again as an illustration. Um, Maybe a picture here of what... kind of lighting system you might find in a bathroom. Our, our bathroom is not that one. You know, Jake said, boy, you guys are doing really well. This is not our bathroom. But our bathroom does have these multiple lights on top. And it always bothered me, or until recently, you know, why, you know, why this inefficient use of light? We're, uh, in my company, we work really hard to make, 
make lights more efficient. It's been uh, told me that uh, every year we spend around $100 million and uh, you know, a full year work of about 100 PhDs in order to gain 10% of efficiency of our LEDs. In order to get just another 10%, you have to put a huge investment of resources. And uh, then I see people using light in a way like this, and I say, what a waste. <laughs> and, uh, but why, why is it? Why is it that bathroom lights have these multiple lights? Does anybody know? Right, very good. If you just have one light, you're going to have the shadow underneath it, right? And uh, if you're a person who's very concerned about your appearances, you want to see it all, right? You want to see exactly what you look like in order that when you go out in public, you're presentable. Some of us don't really have a hope, so they're not, not wasting their time on it, but uh, understandable. Well, that's the problem. That's what you do when you refuse to look at yourself in the light of God's word. I can go to my bathroom and turn off the light and say, boy, I look really good. Right? Because there's no, nothing there to contradict me. And so a person who's not exposing th themselves to God's word may think they're doing really well, while in truth, they're full of sin. Right? Whereas a believer, because he's exposing himself to God's word, he recognizes his sinfulness. But the wonderful thing about it, as we look at uh, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a process of continual cleansing. I, uh, I may have used this illustration before, so forgive me if, uh, if you've heard it, but uh, I, I used to have uh, a relationship that wasn't quite the right relationship. And uh, the Lord pointed it out to me, and I was willing to forsake that relationship. And uh, it was something I think the Lord was trying to talk to me about for a long time. And when I finally put it away, I had such a feeling of joy, you know, such a feeling of relief to be walking in God's will. Uh, I was thinking, boy, you know, this is wonderful. From now on, I'm not going to sin again. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything that interferes with my fellowship with God. So I can fully enjoy God. And I remember telling that to one of my college friends, that, you know, this is what I figured out. I'm just not going to sin anymore. And uh, he explained to me this illustration of a glacier. And uh, you see a glacier, right? And, uh, you know, it's this big thing of ice sticking above the water. And uh, maybe the sun will melt that surface, and then what will you see? You'll see more, because the reality is 90% of the glacier is underwater. So as you're melting the top, it's just something new will come to the surface. And that was the case with me. My life still had all kinds of imperfection in it, still has today, but as I'm willing to let the Lord show me one sin in my life, and I'm willing to get rid of it, the next one pops up, great. Now I can deal with that one. Get that out of the way. That's what it means you know, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's a continual work. As I'm willing to expose myself to him, he will continue to show me areas of sin in my life, and that will allow me to confess those to him, to deal with them, and hopefully to grow in grace, become more like the Lord Jesus, and enjoy fellowship with him more. Okay, finally, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
Uh, in my company, uh, currently Philips, soon to be changed, I mentioned in the prayer meeting, pay for my company, I'm, I'm being spun off. <laughs> that means uh, the company I'm in is no longer going to be part of Philips, but at the moment it's still part of Philips. And uh, we have what we call alignment meetings. Alignment meetings. And that has to do with the fact I, I mentioned that all this work that's being done to try to make LEDs more efficient, uh, $100 million being spent, and it's being spent on different individuals doing different projects, and it's important that they're all going to be uh, aligned and accomplishing the right thing at the end. You don't want, after you spend a million dollars or $10 million on something, to find out that the person you gave that money uh, to wasn't doing the right thing. And so you have this continual alignment where you're trying to get people together to talk about the work they're doing and make sure, yes, we're still all working at the same goal. You're doing A and I'm doing B. And as we bring it all together, we'll be able to get this, whatever advantage we want to have in our LEDs. Well, <clears throat> in this case, the important person you want to align with is God. Right? Uh, we have this in Matthew 7:24 to 27. It's a familiar passage. Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. If you're walking in the light of God's word, it gives you a chance to align yourself with it, and that means the life that you live will be meaningful. It's going to be founded upon the rock of the word of God. If you would, the rules don't change. Jesus says, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will not pass away. Right? So, if we're living our lives aligned with the Word of God, we'll find at the end of the day that what we did was useful. It was worthwhile. We're not wasting our time. We're aligned with God. If we are not walking by the Word of God, our lives are not aligned. And that's when we may say something like, oh, I have never sinned. Right? You're not aligned with God's Word. Your Word, His Word is not in us. We want to be aligned with the, the Word of God so that our life has an eternal value to it. Okay. What if you fail the test? So we talked about different reasons to take the test. One is you want assurance, right, that you're a child of God. Two is you want to be able to tell if a person who is trying to have fellowship with you, teach you, is really a child of God and really teaching the truth of God. But a third one is you may find that you really didn't master that chapter in chemistry and you better go and study again. And that could be the case here. As we take these tests, this is just test one out of many we're going to be taking, you might find that you are not aligned with what the Word of God is saying should describe a believer. What should you do? My advice to you is get a good lawyer. First John 1, sorry, First John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. 
And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus is described here as the advocate, and this is his general offer to mankind. When I first uh, was being introduced, if you would, to Christianity, uh, my sense was that I was being offered Jesus as a man I needed to obey, which is true, right? We should be obeying Jesus. And uh, yet I was trying to do so by my own strength. I didn't understand the reason of why Jesus really came. And uh, the Lord had to open my eyes to the fact that Jesus didn't come into this world in order to rule over my life by the power of my own strength, that was simply he came so that I can obey him, but he really came to this world to be my savior. Now, again, it doesn't mean I shouldn't be obeying him, but first I needed to be saved by him before I could obey him. Today we, we have uh, lawyers, and uh, some of you uh, know me or have been listening to me know that I may have a difficulty in pronouncing the letter R, and sometimes I have to uh, spell out my name for people. My name is Noad Shapiro. That's spelled S-H-A-P-I-R as in Robert O. Because I don't pronounce my R's well enough for people to get them without me putting a word behind the R's, Robert. The other reason I use that is usually the name Robert Shapiro rings to people. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who, who don't know, Robert Shapiro was a famous lawyer because he defended a famous defendant who was uh, accused of a heinous crime. And uh, Robert Shapiro was a very skilled lawyer and was able to get his, his uh, client off, uh, not guilty of what he has done. Now, Jesus is not that kind of a lawyer, not that kind of an advocate. It says here very specifically that he is Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is, is offering to be your advocate in heaven. If you are a sinner and you find that you cannot obey the law of God, you cannot save yourself, uh, Jesus is offering himself to you, if you would, as your lawyer or as your advocate. He is the one who will stand before God and clear the case, so to speak. But he will do so in a righteous way, and that righteous way is uh, described for us in verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. When I was in that state where I thought that uh, the reason Jesus came, or what I needed to do was just to obey him somehow, and uh, it finally dawned on me that I could not obey the Lord. And for the first time in my life, I became scared of my sin. I had... Uh, Something, if you would, like a, like a daydream or a, call it a vision, <laughs> where uh, I was the accused and God was the judge. And I, for the first time in my life, realized I would have to pay the penalty for my sin. It was as if somebody else, and that was the Lord Jesus, stood up and offered, I am willing to pay the penalty instead of this man. 
And that's what it means that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. It means that he himself, in his own body, on the cross, bore the penalty for our sins. So he can be the righteous advocate standing before God and saying, yes, Noad has sinned, but I have fully met your requirement for the sins that Noad has committed. And on the basis of my payment for his sins, I ask him to be released. And the Bible says that this is how God can be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. So, if you have failed the test, Jesus is making the same offer for you. He is willing to settle accounts with God on your behalf. And the passage assures us he didn't just pay for our sins, if you would believe us, but also for the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the whole world. There's nobody in this room that submitted. Your sins have already been paid for by the Lord Jesus. And if you recognize today that you are not saved, all you need to do is appeal to him and say, Jesus, yes, I want you to be my representative before God and to settle accounts with God on my behalf so that I too can be righteous before God. That is his offer to you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus coming into this world and giving us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for his salvation that he's granted to us. We pray uh, if there's anybody here who doesn't know where they stand with you, that you might clarify to them their spiritual position. And we pray here if there's anybody here who doesn't know you yet, has not yet received you as his personal Lord and Savior, Lord, we pray that uh, they might recognize their sins, might recognize that Jesus has paid for their sins and will come to him for the cleansing even today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.